Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Oh, it's a total eclipse of the heart here on Sex and Science Hour. Wow. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm not feeling that. Well, that's right, because it doesn't happen till Monday. Oh, oh, oh right, right. So the heart <laughs> is the earth or the sun, I should say. Right? Um, The sun. Yes. Okay. I mean, it's actually just a metaphor. Um, of course, we're referring <laughs> to the solar eclipse that's going to be happening over North America, and everybody's very excited about it on Monday, uh, August 21st, 2017. Uh, but that's only relevant, really, if you're listening to this in the three or four days before the solar eclipse takes place. So why don't we get into some timeless content? We are going to talk about the eclipse a little bit later in sure. our show on the science segment. But right now, we're in segment one, and this is a wild card. So by the way, this is Sex and Science Hour. I'm Stephanie. You're Brian. And um, you all are our listeners. So thanks for tuning in. <laughs> so anyway, I have an article to start off tonight that is sure to piss some people off. And anytime we have something like that, Brian says, let's do it. You're right. <laughs> Actually, I do do that. I do say off. that. Yeah. <laughs> Marital bliss short-lived for spouses with younger partners. Oh, from tell Medical me more. News Today by <gasps> Honor White Man. To- Honor White Man. That's the name <laughs> of the author. All right. Is it White Man or Whitman? No, Whiteman. All right. Well. Uh, okay. Anyway, we're not going to judge. We're not. We're not here to judge. We're just here to judge people who have younger spouses. So anyway. <laughs> We're not here to judge the author's name. We're just here to judge people who were married. Yeah, uh, anyway. I mean, we're only going after cradle robbers, so let's go. <laughs> there are many factors that can put strain on a marriage. Money worries, work stress, and the demands of a new baby, to name a few. A new, oh yeah, a new study finds that a large age gap between partners may also take its toll. Researchers found that while both men and women initially report greater marital satisfaction with a significantly younger spouse, this satisfaction may soon dwindle. Study authors Wang Shang Li of the Department of Economics at Deakin University in Australia and Tara McKinnish of the Department of Economics at the University of Colorado in Denver, so economists are doing this study, interesting, okay. uh, recently published their results in the Journal of Population Economics. And I've never heard of this journal, so it's probably a small journal, but sure. you know, hey, what do you want from a pop sci article? As per a 2013 report from the United States Census Bureau, about 10% of heterosexual couples and 21% of same-sex couples in the U.S. have a partner who is at least 10 years older. So that's what they're considering a, quote, 
big age difference, more than 10 years years or more. Uh, And actually, they say it's more common in gay uh, same-sex couples. Not not necessarily gay because you could be bisexual, but um, or you know transgender or whatever. But um, it's more common. Uh, it's like twice as common among same sex couples than as with heterosexual couples. I can imagine a lot of reasons why. Because there's just fewer partners. No, not necessarily fewer partners. Like lesser. Or the, the gay men like a young boy. No, to... <laughs> no, I don't even think it's anything. I don't think it's like anything nefarious or something like that. I think it's simply that you know usually. A gay kid, you know, is raised by hetero parents and they have nobody can. I mean, things are getting a little bit better today, I guess, but nobody can really explain like, okay, what's the kind of the gay lifestyle? Like, how do I go? How do we handle like what are these relationships like and everything? So I could see young gay people looking to older gay people for a lot of guidance and that guidance could end up in a relationship itself. Oh, sure. I mean, I think that's a thing. For yeah, sure. yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I would maybe attribute it to just being, f- they're just being fewer partners in general. So you have to kind of, okay, if there's a big age difference, we fall in love with someone, well, you know, maybe you have to take what you can get, right? Yeah, I mean, not that there's a crazy difference in love. It's just, I think it's a little different because you don't have, if you're hetero, you know, you have models all over the place, Yeah, uh, role yeah. models of what that looks like. You know, as to where I think when you have this narrative that somehow homosexuality is strange, which it's not, it's just love, you know, it doesn't even really need another name. It just mm-hmm. happens to have it. Uh, you know, I could see where, where they would they look. They don't have as many relationships modeled for them by adults like their parents. Right. So, so when they, they find an, an adult. partner to show them the ropes. Exactly. And, yeah, I, think that, I could that, see that. Maybe. Yeah. All right. So anyway, going on with the article here, talking to Medical News Today, they got the scoop. <laughs> Lee said that there has been little research conducted on how large age gaps between married couples influence marital satisfaction. He said, when we found a longitudinal data set that allowed us to examine the evolution of marital satisfaction over time for both men and women in the same marriage, we thought it would be very interesting to do the analysis to see what we find. And I guess that longitudinal data set he's referring to would be the U.S. Census, which I didn't Mm. know they asked people about their marriages and stuff. Um, That's kind of creepy. I don't think I filled out the last census in 2010. (laughs) Well, legally, they can only ask you how many people live here and, you know, and confirm your address, I think. Like, there's only two things. Right, but then sometimes they send you the super census where they have to ask you all these invasive questions. And if you don't fill it out, they stalk you. Well, they'll stalk you, but legally, there's only like two questions you're supposed to answer. But anyway, please continue. All right. Younger versus older spouses. The team's findings came from an analysis of 19,914 individuals from more than 7,600 households in Australia, all of whom completed the Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia survey. So, okay, this is from Australian people, and it's not the census, but some kind of big population survey probably done by the government. Okay. The researchers analyzed 13 years of data from married couples, assessing how age gaps between spouses affected their marital satisfaction over time. In the early years of marriage, the data revealed that men with younger spouses reported greater marital satisfaction, while marital satisfaction was lower for men with older spouses. We were not very surprised to find men being more satisfied with younger wives, given the popular half-your-age-plus-seven rule that often comes up in male conversations, Lee told MNT. Wow. So I've have you ever heard that? Like, don't the half your age plus seven rule. So it's basically it's only okay to date somebody 
if they're uh, if they're above half your age plus seven. I, I think I've heard this rule. I have heard it, too. And yeah. it's pretty good. I mean, if you think about, OK, if you're 35, like what's the youngest you can date? Right. Well, it's half your age plus set. I shouldn't use 35. 36. OK. Right. 36. Half of 36 is uh, <laughs> 18. Right. Yes. Uh, or 19. No, 18. Wait, fuck. What's half of 36? <laughs> 15 and three is 18. Yes. 18. Okay. okay. So 18 plus 7 is uh, 25. What are we doing, man? So 25 is the youngest you could date as a 35-year-old. As a 36-year-old. 36, yes. Yeah, okay, all right. If you're 60, half your age is 30 plus 7, so 37 is the youngest you could date. Uh Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's not bad, right? No, that's 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 interesting. I I mean, I I think there there could be a touch of wiggle room, but not bad. Yeah. 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 I say that's pretty good. Yep. Um, so they're saying they weren't surprised to find that men were happier with younger wives, given that, you know, that plus the fact that when you look at the studies of dating sites, men, you no matter what age the man is, he always rates women who are in their early 20s as the most attractive. Doesn't matter how old he is, if he's in yeah, his 50s, 60s, yeah. 70s, um, it's always women in the younger, in the, in the early 20s. However, the researchers say they were surprised to find that women also reported greater marital satisfaction with younger spouses in the early years of the marriage compared to women whose spouses were older. Lee said, this is so this is the cougars now, the older women married to younger men okay, (laughs) or maybe younger women. Uh, Lee said, this is contrary to what previous studies using data on preference from speed dating studies have found. However, with more gender equality and boy toy relationships on the rise since the 1980s, this was also not completely unexpected. It's just that women have been strategic and not more explicit in stating their preferences. So they date younger men, but they don't talk about it. Okay. Marital satisfaction fades in six to ten years, however. On further analysis, however, the researchers found that the greater marital satisfaction among couples with a large age gap is short-lived. The study revealed that the higher levels of marital satisfaction experienced by spouses with younger partners were almost completely eradicated within six to ten years of getting married. Lee noted that previous studies have indicated that differently aged married couples are more likely to divorce than couples of a similar age, so they were not necessarily surprised by the finding itself. However, Lee told us that the team was surprised to find just how fast a marriage can start to decline among couples with large age gaps. So um, there's a little bit more, but I think we're going to stop there. Sure. Um, So they're saying that after six to ten years... The honeymoon is over, and it, wear, it wears <laughs> off the effect of having a younger spouse. They're not more happy with mm-hmm. having a younger spouse. Now, have you ever heard of the seven-year itch, Brian? Of course. Yeah, that that's the idea that once you're married to somebody for seven years, you really start to get bored. Right. And you're looking for somebody to cheat on them with, or you're looking for somebody to you know divorce them and get a new spouse, mm-hmm. right? And they there's like all these explanations for it. And it seems like seven years is kind of an average length of time for that to happen for a lot of couples. Um, and there's all these explanations for it, like, oh, biologically, that's the time it takes to raise a child to the point where they can kind of do, you know, oh, I do see. The, like live on their own, maybe a little bit, um, that kind of thing. I don't really know if there's anything to it. Uh, I guess I haven't been in a 
monogamous relationship for more than seven years to test right. this out. So. Nor I. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. But you were married for seven years, weren't you, Brian? Oh, yeah. And then it ended. <laughs> but, but it wasn't be, because of the seven year itch. No. Was it? You were itching before that. I was going to say, to be fair, like in in four or five, I wanted it to end. I mean, yeah, it, it, was, it just it took you until seven to actually end it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's all. Uh, no, it had nothing yeah, I don't, I don't put that kind of, there's a lot of these funny things. I mean, like even a lot of these societal, I don't want to say norms, but ideas that there's the seven year itch or there's the biological clock that goes off for a woman. Oh, and yeah, I think they're all one. bullshit. Like, yeah. and, and easily, easily you could toss them out the door. And I mean, how is it like, how can you prove that it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like you constantly hear from the time you're a little kid that, oh, watch out for the seven year itch. There's like movies called the seven year itch. There's songs right. about it. Oh, like, it's a phrase and she's got the itch i mean that's a phrase you know and they're not talking well, about pubic lice either yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that image bro. well i, I guys uh, can have it too hey let's be fair um uh anyway yeah but how do you know that because you're hearing that in culture there's not a seed that's planted and then when you grow up and get married right. you're like there's a part of you that's like okay start the timer set for seven years <laughs> yeah no i think it's the same with the biological clock you, you're right. just constantly being inundated your mother or whoever is telling you all the time oh have you thought about having kids have you thought about having kids like no I, you know yeah i have but it's only because all of you people will keep you won't shut up about it you know it's <laughs> yeah. where i probably wouldn't have if you didn't exactly, so, exactly yeah but anyway please continue i can say that i have not experienced the biological clock phenomenon right. and i'm over 30 i'm 33 oh shit <laughs> no i mean and i think i would have noticed if you were like kind of feeling that that's a conversation that's just never come up between you and i ever right. you know it's crazy yeah, it it is very weird. Other than to say no, but I mean, <laughs> like it's never been a conversation. It always has an instantaneous answer. Yeah, there wasn't no day when I woke up and said, Brian, um, do you hear that noise? Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Right. <laughs> so, uh. yeah, I think so many of these things are cultural constructs. I mean, is, are there other cultures around the world where there's such a thing as the seven-year itch? I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked that into it that deeply, right. but... So many things are from are from culture. Well, and it's impossible I'll, to tell whether it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, like we said. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you though. So much now, I think there's there's a whole you know experience is not an aspect of culture. Like experience is something humans go through as they pass through time. All right, so that's that that's not. But there's a lot of aspects why I think this ten year rule or whatever makes a lot of sense why you start to run into problems or if you get past the 10 years or something like that. Oh, tell like me that. about that. I think that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think it is cultural because you have an, ex like every, every, I mean, there's the concept of generations. People talk about 40 years or there's, you know, depending on what you mean by generation. Um, but I think, yeah, I think when you get into large disparate age, uh, age differences to say nothing of the power dynamics that occur within that, there is just a completely different cultural lingo that the two of you have that the, the sex, the quote unquote honeymoon stage and everything can get you past for a little while, but only for a little while. Eventually there's different music. There's different slang. There's different movies. There's different TV shows that you grew up with. All of these different things that are like a baseline of a person's experiences. Now, yeah. like I said, the experience... Those things affect us more than we realize. I oh, think sure. You it's... could say like, oh, well, who cares if you don't like the same music or whatever? You, the younger person get get caught up by listening to classics, but... Well, well, just imagine, okay, like when I was a kid, you always had adults telling you, you can't say ain't. 
Oh, don't, yeah, it's that's not right. a word. Yeah, Ain't is not good. a word. All right. Now everybody, I mean, it's in every book. People, nobody seems to really give a shit. You know, nobody's that much of the, 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 the grammar authoritarian. Okay. Uh, but I mean, if you fell in love with somebody who never liked the fact that you said ain't or cool or y'all or something like that, you know, I mean, that, that would, that would wear on you. Remember in the nineties people say, oh, he's mental. Right. Like he's crazy. Right. You know, I (laughs) I mean, so many things like that. Yeah. Yeah, It would really wear on you. What about the internet? You know, you and I are part of a unique uh, age of people, generation, I guess you could say, Yeah. who grew up with a um, analog childhood and a digital teenagerhood and into adulthood. Right. And we were on the cusp of the internet coming about. And that, that had a huge impact on who I am as a person, I think. Sure. Yeah. We're both older millennials. Yes. Like we're the, we're the upper bracket of, of millennials. Yeah. And uh, I, be, I prefer to date somebody my own age. I can see the appeal. Like I've been attracted to older people before mm-hmm. and I've tried to have relationships with them. And, um, you know, I think for me, I prefer to date somebody who's closer to my own, my own age. I wouldn't rule somebody out if they were a lot older or perhaps a lot younger but that hasn't come up for me yet i suppose maybe it will as i get old (laughs) yeah (laughs) um i prefer to date someone who's close to my own age particularly because you can relate on those things exactly and you're in a often in a similar station of life you know yes each decade of your life is sort of marked by certain life experiences in your 20s you know you kind of maybe focus on your education you don't have a lot of money you're learning and figuring out what you want to do 30s is a lot of self-exploration a lot of people have kids a lot of people get married a lot of people buy things like houses and cars 40s you're really building up your wealth 50s 60s and beyond you know you're trying to focus on uh, retirement and becoming happy and coming into your own so there's a lot of things that people have in common when they're at those stages all right Speaking of stages, we're into our next one. Stay tuned. There's more coming up. Hey, everybody. I just want to let you know about a cool little hangout on the internet. All the kids are doing it these days, speaking of old age and young age. (laughs) Um, Go to your browser, your internet browser there. Type in the URL facebook.com and (laughs) go to the Sex and Science Hour podcast community on Facebook. There you will find a cool group of people discussing the ideas, the very ideas that we discuss on this show and suggesting show prep. In fact, we got a lot of our show prep tonight from the Sex and Science Hour podcast community Facebook group. This is true. So head over there, join the dozens of other cool listeners uh, that you know you want to be friends with. And now back to the show. This is Sex and Science Hour. If we haven't alienated you with that article about uh, age differences. <laughs> well, it's an important conversation, I think. I think it is. I mean, a lot of people ask us about it. Like, oh, yeah. hey, what's what? how much is too much when it comes to age differences in relationships? We've gotten that question before. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, we had an answer to it. We talked about it on Brian's Patreon-only content. On, Actually, uh, yep. and it wasn't just you and I. We yeah, were joined. MK Lords as MK, well. The inimitable MK Lords yep. uh, was also involved in that. And I thought it was a fantastic conversation. Yep. I thought that was a good show. SovereignTech.com if you want to sign up for that and find it. <laughs> right on. Yeah, and I mean, I every time we talk about relationships with age differences, I always think of, there's one example of a couple I know married. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have an age difference of about 15 years. And they're one of the best couples I know. You know, and the age difference was something that almost prevented them from getting together. But they talked about it extensively. They thought about it very carefully. Right. They were both very into self-knowledge. I think they both have a really high level of maturity, knowing what they want out of relationships. And they had a lot of similarities and similar goals. And so I think maybe that's one reason why their relationships work so well. So I'm not saying it can't 
happen or it's doomed, you know, if right. there's an age difference. But, you know, I, that was just kind of an interesting little study that we yeah, just, decided I think there, to spark a conversation. There are forces perhaps working against you. You know, yeah. and, and with yeah. that, so keep well, that in mind. there's always forces working against you in every Yeah, but I mean, there's extra challenges sometimes, sure. you know? That's, Absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway. All right. Speaking of forces working against you, <gasps> the dark forces are going to be at work. Wait a minute. I like the dark side. On Monday, oh. August 21st, between oh. 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. <laughs> Everywhere in North America will potentially be able to be see a partial solar eclipse. Now, I was always taught there was a partial solar eclipse uh, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I think I was in second grade or third grade or something like that. This would have been in like nineteen, the early nineteen nineties. No, I remember. I was 94. in this. I think I was in the seventh grade when it happened. Yeah, I, that, I that sounds about right. So, okay, so I would have been fourth grade. Probably. Yeah, I remember where I was and what I used to watch it. Yeah, go ahead. I do too. I was out in the playground yard. The mm-hmm. teacher took us outside, and she had a special uh, glass that we could look through and look at the sun without going uh... blind. And we, but they were very careful to tell us you can't look at this directly with your eyes because it can burn your eyes. Right. Um, so what we have here from sciencefriday.com is an article that tells you how you can look at the solar eclipse without needing one of those special pieces of uh, glass. Do they have the box trick? They do. Yeah, they have uh-huh. all kinds of tricks. So. That's how I watched it. All so right. I just wanted to g- share this really quickly because we, you know, we are going to have some listeners looking at the solar eclipse. So in case you want to see it... I'm sure there'll be great videos that are better than you can get with your pinhole or your colander at home. But yeah, <laughs> but if you want to see it for yourself and you live in North America, now's your chance. So, OK, here on August 21st, 2017, everyone in North America will potentially be able to see a partial solar eclipse. People in 12 states will be in the path of totality, which is where you see a total solar eclipse. And we'll have the chance to see a total solar eclipse and observe the sun's corona. And if you can't already tell, we are pretty excited because we're geeks. No, I inserted that part. <laughs> <laughs> the 2017 solar eclipse is approaching. But what if you don't have eclipse glasses? No worries. You can appreciate this solar phenomenon by using some simple projection devices you can make at home. Safety note, you should never look directly at the sun without the special type of solar filter found in eclipse glasses. Do not use regular sunglasses. Projection devices work by focusing the sun's light onto another surface so that you can safely view the sun indirectly. During a partial solar eclipse, projections of the sun's rays will appear in a crescent shape that changes with the position of the moon. Pinhole projectors are very cool, very old devices that date back thousands of years. Okay, so the first one is a simple pinhole projector, probably the easiest and most well-known type of projection. And they have like diagrams and videos of all this. If uh-huh. you want to see that, we'll link to it in the show notes. Yes. So just check out our SoundCloud page or our website, sexandsciencehour.com, to get the original article where you can see the examples. So uh, the, the simple pinhole projector is probably the easiest one. All you need is a piece of cardstock or cardboard and a pin. Poke a hole in the center of your cardstock and you'll make your pinhole projector. Position your projector over a light piece of paper or light sidewalk until you see a small circular projection of the sun appear on the paper. That's it. Very easy. Yeah. So you just poke poke a hole in a piece of paper, get another piece of paper, and project it on there. Uh, Number two, the pinhole hat. You can create a pinhole viewer that goes over your head. We like to call this a pinhole hat. (laughs) To create one, all you need is a large box, some white paper, duct tape, and aluminum foil. Yeah. Get a very large box. Tape one side closed with dark masking or duct tape. This is the top of your hat. Two, identify the two sides of the box that are farthest apart and label one side front and the other side back. 
Three, fold closed the bottom of the box. Create a hole for your head in the bottom of the box towards the back. Have an adult do this part. (laughs) (laughs) It helps to place the hole as close as you can to a corner of the box. Four, on the side labeled back, cut a square hole in the center towards the top, away from where you've cut a hole for your head. Cover that hole with aluminum foil. Secure the foil with dark tape and poke a hole in the center of it with a pin. Five, cover the inside of the front side of your box with white paper to make a viewing screen. And then six, on a sunny day, stand outside with your back to the sun. So the sun is going to come in that little hole in the aluminum foil, and it's going to project onto the screen in front of you. Right, right. So you'll see the shadow of the sun. That's pretty cool. Number three, found object projector. Any object with small holes will work as your pinhole projector. See the sunlight shining between those leaves or the holes in that colander above? And they have a picture of a colander, like when you strain spaghetti in a colander. It has little holes in it. Uh, During an eclipse, these objects will work like pinhole projectors. Simply look for a place where the sunlight is shining through them and watch how the light changes during the eclipse. So you can literally use a colander. Um, And then they have like a couple of other ones. They have telescope and long pinhole projectors. But these are all variations on the theme of pinhole projectors. Right. So um, if you want to look directly at the sun, you're going to need that glasses. But if you want to look at it indirectly, you can basically shine the sun's light through a pinhole and onto a screen that you can then look at the screen and see how the shape of the light changes during the eclipse. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Just a little pro tip. Hope everybody's safe out there. And now we're going to get to our key article for this segment it's about fish fish now this is not like yesterday's newspaper fish wrapped up in yesterday's newspaper. you know where did where where were we i don't remember where we went and we i i think i ordered a fish and chips uh-huh and i thought that this was so a part of me felt out about this okay because they like it was in a little basket and the paper for it was look like mock newspaper, yeah. right? And I was just like, you know, just stop. Like, like, don't even fucking bother. You know, like that's like that's like the new uh, the new VW bugs. How they had the um, they had the flower like stitched in, yeah. onto the onto the dashboard. Right. And it's like, stop it, okay? Like, it, it's so fucking obvious what you're trying to pull here. Uh, look, it's either real newspaper or just you know just stop or it's BSing not, everybody. Yeah, you don't need to, or or, oh, or just use tissue paper or something. I hate that inauthenticity <laughs> in in marketing, and I mean, it, and it's subtle, and most people probably don't know, and it it probably adds to their flavor or the nostalgia or something like that. But it just drives me up the wall because I'm hypersensitive to marketing, and and that oh man. Anyway, please continue. Ah, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. That is a bummer. It's like, oh, come on, you know, like you. Th- who do you think you're kidding? Yeah, exactly. Well, people might be saying that in Canada and in North America because um, genetically modified salmon is hitting the shelves all over North America, but people might not know that that's what they're eating. Wow, talk about inauthentic. All right. Yeah, Aqua Bounty salmon was approved for sale in Canada in 2016, paving the way for it to become the first genetically modified animal to enter the food supply. Damn. And then it has a picture. This is from The Guardian, by the way, by uh, Ashifa Kassam. And uh, they've got a picture of two fish next to each other. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And the two fish are both salmon, but one is way bigger than the other. And that is because it is a genetically modified salmon that grows a lot faster than its natural brethren. Does it have two heads? 
No. Oh. It doesn't. It's very beautiful. I mean, it's a pretty looking fish. Uh, but it is it is a GMO organism, which a lot of people don't like GMO foods. And we've talked about them a few times on the show before. Um, you know, I I have kind of a nuanced view on them. I mean, I I can see the problems with them, even mm-hmm. from a scientific perspective. As somebody who is informed about science, I think a lot of people would have, have, expect me to be pro-GMOs, right? Because they, well, they just, it's a good thing. They're increasing the availability of food. They're making it better for uh, farmers. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're feeding people who wouldn't otherwise get food, and it's making food cheaper and more available. What's not to love? Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots of things that are not to love. <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes the process of making genetically modified organisms can they they can shoot DNA into the genome of the organism that is grown for food and it can get into these weird places and create like proteins that are not normally found in nature that can create contribute to uh, food allergies. Ah. That's one problem with it. Um, the other problem is like, for example, with the soybeans, um, genetically modified soybeans are available that are resistant to the herbicide Roundup or glyphosate. Mm-hmm. And what that means is effectively the the farmers who grow those crops will spray down the field with Roundup and it kills everything else except the Roundup resistant soybeans. But then that Roundup, which is a very toxic chemical, um, it's, you know, it's an herbicide. It kills plants and yeah. animals. Um, will run off into rivers and into other areas of the environment. And there are rivers that are just everything is dead in the river because yeah. there's so much Roundup washing into the river. A lot of unintended consequences, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah a lot of un- unintended consequences. And everything's like that. Everything is a mixed bag, pretty much. Sure. Um, you know, I guess I would say that um, my buying choices, a lot of times I try to avoid um, genetically modified foods. Um, I know for myself, this is weird. I have a, f- a few food allergies. I have, you know, um, dairy and gluten allergies mm-hmm. or wheat allergies. I don't know if it's the gluten, but it's something about wheat. Um, and corn is a, is one of the other big eight allergens. There's like eight common foods that lots of people are allergic to. Um, one of them being, you know, dairy and wheat being two. The others are like peanuts, shellfish, corn, soybeans, Um I don't know what the other two, but the, there's two more. Okay. Um, and they're called the big eight allergens. Oh, tree nuts are one, nah, one of the other ones and sure. eggs. So tree nuts and eggs, those are okay. missing too. Um, so, yeah. So a lot of people who have food allergies have multiple food allergies, not just to one or two foods. So there's a time where I was like, mm, am I allergic to corn? I wonder about that because corn can be great for gluten-free foods like corn chips, you know? Right. But if you're allergic to corn too, then it kind of defeats the purpose. So what I have found is that when I eat like a mass produced kind of like corn checks or something like some corn cereal, like corn flakes or something that that uses just like the mainstream corn that's grown, definitely GMO corn, because that's one of the most heavily modified and most heavily agricultural subsidized foods in right. the U.S. Um, it does give me like muc- a lot of mucus in my throat. And it does give me itchy bumps on my hands, which is uh-huh. like my big test for allergies. In my yeah, food. right. But when I get the organic non-GMO blue corn, it doesn't. Hmm. So 
I don't know what it is. I'm not sure if it's the genetically modified or the organic or the blueness of the corn, but something about it. I always go for the organic non-GMO blue corn. Call me an asshole if you want, but I feel like there's probably something my body is trying to tell me. Well, this is pretty interesting with the salmon because I think it's it's somewhat well documented and you covered quite a bit of it, I think uh, problems with crops with GMO crops. Yes, of that's any right. Kind. But this is like one of the first animals. Right now I am assuming that this is being uh, uh, grown or raised in very controlled conditions, which I mean, you know, fish farming yes. isn't anything new. Like that was, that existed long before GMOs. Yes. Uh, but because, one of the, I know where you're going with this. One of the concerns with crops is that the seeds are going to blow in the wind and they're going to cross pollinate other fields that are not GMO. And those genes are going to end up being spread. And then pretty soon there's going to be none of the heirloom variety left. Exactly. Right. Now, so did they do something to like neuter the salmon or? Yes. So the salmon are sterile. Okay. And they are being raised in landlocked patties. Of course, so were the velociraptors. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. You could say, oh, well, that sounds fine. But life finds a way. <laughs> you know, I don't know how. Salmon are known for, like, swimming upstream and jumping over little things. So how do we know that one's not going to get loose into the environment? And who knows and what start happens. spreading its genes. Yeah. And, you know, supposedly they are sterile, but... I don't know. I mean, it. I guess it's always possible. Well, I mean, the, the concerns, I think, you know, this is something people don't, when, when you get into genetic engineering, which is what GMO, you know, I mean, that's yeah. what this is. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, for a basic example that I like to use, people talk about, oh, it'd be awesome if, you know, as a human, like I could have enhanced hearing, but they never consider that just not even evolution, not even nature. Civilization is not made for you to hear so well. Oh, yeah. And so that could be a really cur- a curse. Right. Imagine it, if you're it, in a city or something, you hear every car motor, every little mosquito. Or just working in an office. Oh, look, yeah. Look, people get deadened to this stuff and they don't realize it. The, these electronics, almost all electronics make some kind of sound. I pitched, yeah. Yeah. And, and you're going to kind of hum. Yeah. Right. You're going to start hearing it. You know, I mean, you could hear it before if you didn't kind of deaden down to it. But like if you enhance your hearing, you're going to run into a problem. And yeah, yeah. suddenly the whole world is anathema to you right. because you just wanted that super fucking hearing. And so that's why. Yeah, right. That's why natural selection got our hearing to the level it's at right now, mm-hmm. because there was there was some maybe there was a disadvantage to having better hearing or being able to hear more frequencies or whatever. Sure. I mean, you were able to fucking sleep, you know, and <laughs> at night with all the yeah. with all the nocturnal animals going off, you know what I mean? Or hanging exactly. out. In the cave or whatever so i mean that makes that makes a lot of sense um i have i i have a bit of a yeah so if you suddenly have larger because i guess that's the gist right is that these are supposed to be larger salmon yeah so i've read about these type of salmon before they've been being developed for years um i think what they have is so this article says they have a gene they the salmon can grow twice as fast as conventionally farmed Atlantic salmon, reaching adult size in some 18 months as compared to 30 months. Mm-hmm. The pro- product also requires 25% less food to grow to the size of a wild salmon and could have a carbon footprint of up to 25 times less, the company has claimed. Sure. So, so I think they have this gene for IGF-1, which is insulin-like growth factor. Oh, okay. And we know about this because that's the reason bodybuilders drink whey protein. Exactly. Because it's in milk. Which I do every day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it has a growth factor, basically, that it makes. Yeah. So which kind of leads me to something, because, I mean, there's a flip side argument to this, I think. Okay. Uh, I mean, if you have suddenly larger 
uh, salmon and ones that eat less or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, however that takes shape that suddenly end up propagating in various rivers and everything. I mean, you are making a dramatic change in the ecosystem Mm -hmm. that has ramifications you can't even begin to guess. Yeah. Okay. That's going to happen. The thing is, I think the flip side argument to this, and I'm not saying I agree with it. I think, I think the reality of what's a good idea is somewhere in between, but humans have forever been engaging in artificial selection, not natural selection, but artificial selection. This isn't really something new. For example, in Japan, okay, you have what's called, there's a species of crab called the Heike crab. Okay, now uh, the, yeah, that's right. Okay, now the Heike crab has that name because it's after a Japanese clan that lost this war called the Heike hundreds of years ago. Uh, and the reason it became the Heike crab is because the back of the shell of the crab had this face that looked like a samurai warrior. A pattern that looked a like pattern. a face. Of yeah, a like, like it yeah. had the shape. It was very strange. And so the fishermen in Japan hundreds of years ago wouldn't wouldn't uh, eat or kill this Heike crab. Yeah, they'd throw them back. Because they it thought like it was their the honored dead. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and that, that it had the spirit of the warrior in it. And so they let it, so they respected it and let it go. Now there's hakey crab, you know, like everywhere. They're all over the goddamn place. And hopefully nobody has a superstition anymore. But point being is that this is a, I mean, it's not GMO, but this is a case where a very specific trait was selected for artificially. And now you have an entire species. Sure. You, look, you at, know, look at dog breeds of dogs, right? All of that same is artificial thing. selection. Humans yes. bred certain dogs together because they exemplified certain traits that they exactly. wanted the offspring to have. But there is a different, there's a big difference between that and genetically modifying because in natural selection, you can only have, you can only work with the genes that are already in the gene pool of that organism. With genetically mod, with genetic modification, you can introduce genes from a different species. You could introduce multiple copies of genes that that species does have. And also because of the way that the genes are inserted into the organism's genome, you can have uh, the the insertion is random. And so that's what I said before, where you can have pieces of artificial DNA that get inserted into an organism's genome in weird places. And it could potentially make these recombinant proteins that aren't like part of the that aren't intended yeah. To be made. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and I think that's my concern is that this is such an instantaneous change as to where with dogs. Sure. It just took a few thousand years and suddenly you had a ton of different uh, breeds, not even species, just a ton of different uh, breeds of dogs. OK, because of that. But you had thousands of years for the rest of the e- of the ecosystem to catch up with the hakey crab. You had hundreds of years at least for, uh, you know, for everything to catch up mm-hmm. with what's going on with in this case. The ecosystem might not have a chance. I mean, so it needs to be in a very controlled situation, but that's a that's a tough fucking sell to say that this is always going to be a controlled situation. Yeah. Uh I, yeah, I I I have concerns over this. <laughs> I think a lot of people have concerns, yeah. And I mean, they're compensating for it. So the this the fish is available in Canada at a market price of $5.30 equivalent in US dollars per pound. Wow. Now, how much is salmon usually when you go to the grocery store? Three times that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's at least, you know, it's, it's usually around 15 bucks a pound. Yep. If you're going for wild salmon, it's more expensive, seventeen ninety nine or maybe 20, 20 bucks a pound yeah. sometimes. It's not a far stretch. So this is extremely cheap salmon. So I wonder if, like, a lot of people are, are going to be looking in the fish and they're gonna be like oh you know i want some fish tonight let's see what the Mm. fresh fish what do they have oh my god salmon for five bucks a pound that's a great deal i'm gonna buy that 
but they don't necessarily know because they don't have to label it that this is genetically modified salmon. Right, right. So, um, you know, that's, I guess, maybe a little bit of an issue. I don't know. There's been people who've been pushing for, like, legislation where, um, you know, you have to label foods as that are genetically modified if you want to sell them in the U.S. I don't think that's really gone anywhere. Maybe California, but no, I don't think so, really. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm not one for regulation. but No, me neither. And I don't think that solves the problem. I mean, uh, there's already private certifying bodies that certify things as non-GMO. But the thing is, like, yeah, you don't really know. They can say they're raising them in landlocked bins and everything and that they're never going to touch the ocean. But you don't really know that either, I guess. Yeah, you really I think if you want to solve this, you have to really make demands. Regulation isn't going to solve anything because we know like with gluten free and a lot of other different terms that 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 are legal terms that get put onto uh, various uh, food containers, food cartons, whatever, uh, that the company just does. There's bare minimums. And that's all they do. And in fact, like even gluten free might not be. It's likely not 100 percent gluten free. Um, I think gluten free is pretty good because, you know, they realize that's almost a life or death issue for a lot of people. For if they have Yeah, really that could be a little bit different. Disease. Right. But organic. There's the USDA organic label, which a lot of people look at and say, oh, yeah, that's organic. Well, actually, it can contain up to 5 percent non-organic ingredients. Right. And still be labeled as organic. And it costs a shit ton of money to get that certification. So a lot of products are actually, in fact, more organic than the standards for the organic label, but they are small companies, so they can't afford to to pay for that uh, the, certification. the privilege of being able to put that label on their food. Sure. Yeah. So, so I, food I, is a clusterfuck, everybody. Just be careful out there. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you're getting. <laughs> well, I think the solution, which honestly, in, in almost every case is the solution. Grow it yeah. in your own backyard? No, no. You just have to be an educated public. Yeah. You know? Like the vegans, you know what, without legislation, the vegans changed the world. I mean, they really did. It's a fact. How did they change the world? Well, it's obvious. I mean, like so many, like even labeling food was a market demand before it was any kind of legislation. And it was a market demand created by those people. All right. Well, we're going to be creating stuff in the next segment. Stay (laughs) tuned. Hello, everybody. I would like to invite you over to a different website this segment break. That website is audible.com or .uk or whatever, what have you. I have a lot of cool audiobooks that are available for purchase. And if you like my voice, you could listen to my voice for hours and hours. One that I want to recommend is Getting Screwed, Sex Workers and the Law by Alison Bass, which I narrated the audiobook of. It's all about the, well, exactly what the title says, Sex Workers and the Law, with lots of stories from real sex workers. If you like fiction books, check out The Protector by Bridget Essex. It's a lesbian werewolf vampire romance tale. And Sounds amazing. I love that one. It's a quite a lengthy book, too, so you could listen to it for hours and have so much pleasure. And watch for more sexy audiobooks to come. All right, now back to the show. This is Sex and Science Hour. Thank you so much, everybody, for your support of our show. Not just for listening, but for sending us show prep and questions and all this kind of stuff. And also for shopping at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Anytime you hear about an Amazon or Audible product, you can always get it through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And we'll get a little credit and you can be on our after show. Anonymously, of course, your product, will, your purchase will be on our after show. So stay tuned for more details about that if you want to find out more later. But right now... We got a sex segment to do. You ready for Brian? I got some good stories for this one. Let's talk about sex. (laughs) All right. So this is from, of all places, Forbes 
<laughs> wow, my boner just like. <sighs> yeah, I know. Forbes is not very sexy. <laughs> no. Oh, well, I'm sure there's people who think it is. Uh, my opinion, no. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm with you. So Forbes is not very sexy, and actually neither is this article fr- uh, from uh, Bruce Y. Lee. Pubic hair grooming, how often people hurt themselves. Oh, dear. What could possibly go wrong when you use a sharp object or hot wax on your private areas? Apparently a lot, according to a survey just published in JAMA Dermatology. (laughs) Now, JAMA is like one of the top medical journals out there. And JAMA Dermatology is a good journal. So this is a legit problem that a lot of people are encountering. So here's a survey about it. Bragging about your sports injuries may seem cool at a party or on a date, but bragging about your pubic hair grooming injuries? Not so much. However, a team of researchers from the University of California, San Francisco, and the Washington University School of Medicine did what you naturally do when you want to find out more about pubic hair grooming injuries. They sent out nearly 15,000 surveys to a nationally representative sample of 18 to 65-year-olds in the United States. A little over half, or 7,570 people, completed the questionnaire, with 55.5% being men and 44.5% being women. The survey found bushels and bushels of pubic hair groomers. (laughs) Over three quarters, 76.1%, said that they had groomed their pubic hair. 66.5% of men and 85.3% of women. It also found that injuries were rather common. Slightly over a quarter, 25.6% of those who had groomed had injured themselves in the act. More women, surprise, surprise, (laughs) more women, 868 or 27.1% than men, 562 or 23.7% had suffered injuries. Cuts, 61%, were the most common type of injury, followed by burns, 23%, and then rashes, 12.2%. Ooh. Nearly two-thirds, 66%, said, oops, I did it again, (laughs) and had injured themselves more than once. (laughs) Close to a third, love the Britney Spears reference, that's your favorite, Brian. Absolutely. Close to a third, 32.2%, had hurt themselves five or more times. Now, I'm cringing when I'm reading this. But I think I have hurt myself more than five times grooming my pubes. I absolutely have. Probably yeah. I'm going to go with a dozen. I, I, I've injured myself a time or two. Yeah. So we both admitted that we groom. Uh, yeah. Well, we're in the majority there. But I mean, yeah. I think everybody does hurt themselves. You know, it's like it's kind of hard to avoid. Um, not serious injuries, but like, you know, just like mishaps. From cuts, you know, unintentional with a razor, to burning yourself with wax if you're trying to wax, which is easy to do, to rashes where, you know, you get razor burn or ingrown hairs. Oh, sure. That's happened plenty of times. Mm. You know, I'll tell you, though, like as far as being in the majority with the grooming thing. So we were recently at a Korean spa, shall we say Mm. that. And uh, separated were, you know, men are in one was, section, women in one <laughs> this section. This spa was, this could, we could do a whole show about this spa. Oh, we could. In fact, you know what? <laughs> I should be doing a show on this. Anyway, thank you. All right. So, <laughs> but I'll tell, I'll, I'll give this little secret away here. So there's a lot of, and I'm judging by, by the language they were speaking. And I know my differences between Mandarin, uh, you know, Japanese and oh, Korean. Oh, it was a Korean spa. It was yeah. definitely Korean. Lots of Korean guys, you know, in this area. And we're all nude and whatever. 
they don't groom very often. It does not appear. I mean, like I'm seeing full tufts, uh, <laughs> like, like, I mean, and it, it's amazing. Like that the hairs were shooting out like straight, straight, straight out, straight views, you know, yeah. <laughs> which I mean, I, I've been, I've been in Japan. I've been in those situations there too. And, and it's, it's kind of the same, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, here in America, I, I don't think I'd ever really been in that situation in the States. Yeah. And that was fascinating to see. I was just kind of looking around and like, it's very noticeable, but wow, these people don't, um, you know, they don't do that. And well, okay. Interesting. I mean, so yeah, obviously this is like a largely cultural trend and also probably the curliness of the hair affects it too. Because sure. if you have very curly hair, it's just going to kind of crunch down and sure. not going to stick out straight. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, well, some... if it stuck out straight though, it'd be easier. It's like, you don't need, you can just you can snip, snip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, yeah. All right. Yeah, you and I both have the curse or the blessing, I don't know, depending on how you look at it, of uh, of curly hair all over our bodies, shall we say? Yes, this is true. <laughs> so, yeah, that can contribute to stuff like razor burn and ingrown hairs. Yep. You know, whenever, no matter what you're shaving. Um, anyway, so that's why I say I've injured myself a bunch of times. Anyway, uh, so let's see. Uh, however, the vast majority of injuries didn't seem to require medical attention, with 3.4% necessitating antibiotics for infections and 2.5% needing surgery. Well, surgery is just going to be like draining, like lance and drain a boil, like, you know, oh, pimple okay. popper, MD stuff, you know. Sure, sure. You ever seen those YouTube channels where they're like, you know, Dr. Oh, pimple oh, popper oh, and they're draining? No, all right, all right, all right. Okay, it's... never mind. We won't bring that yeah, up. Yeah, uh, I kind of get a perverse pleasure in looking at those. Dr. I don't know Murphy. <laughs> Nonetheless, more severe injuries were more likely when the person was lying on his or her back or others were grooming the person's pubic hair. Oh, my God. Have you ever let someone else groom your pubic hair, Brian? Once. How did that go? There's a reason I spoke of it in the past tense. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't go so well, I'm guessing, huh? Well, it's tough. Tell me that story. All right. So I'm with this gal. Actually, it's the first gal I ever stooped. And, but it was years after that. Okay. Because we stayed great friends. I mean, I always stay great friends with, well, anyway, okay. not always, but yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was staying with her for a while um, while she was going through a degree of a hardship. I was helping her out. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were, you know, we were having fun while we were living together and everything. And at one point, yeah, she was like, you know, hey, you want me to like, like trim all this? It's like, let's go bald all the way. I'd, I had actually, to that point, I'd never done that uh-huh. where I, where I shaved, you know, my groin all the, you know, all the way down. And so she starts to help out with it. Here's the problem. Okay. And that is I start getting a Studenhofer, you know, which I really shouldn't when there's a blade yeah. near my deck. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you like to live dangerous. Yeah. But I start because, I mean, you know, she, she was incredibly attractive. I mean, like. Sure. The, the, it's she, a sexy scenario. Yeah. I mean, she had all kinds of, she was nude and, you know, breasts were swaying. I mean, it was really, I mean, and she had, well, all right. So <laughs> not anybody needs to hear, hear about all that. Uh, but yeah, I started getting this student offer, you know, and, and next thing I know, you know, razors going and like, and it's just. And, and a cut happens. Oh, and I was like, oh, shit. Wow. Just on the side. But it was enough that, I mean, I was okay with it. Like, I have an incredibly high pain, pain tolerance and all that. It wasn't anything that, like, there was any kind of real damage or something. It was a skin cut, you know. Uh, but it kind of freaked her out. Like, I mean, who who the hell, no matter how how simply, say, a dick is bleeding, I mean, I understand why people might might get freaked out about that sort of thing. You want to know my worst pubic hair removal story? Do I know it? Was I there? Yes. Okay. You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. what you're going to say. 
but please tell it. So I got one of those hard wax kits that you can use at home. Uh-huh. And for the most part, I used it several times without incident. Yeah. Um, but one day I was waxing and I was, you know, impatient, basically. I was impatient for the wax to heat up. And the wax was not warm enough. And I dipped in the little spatula and I got some wax and it was kind of balling up on the thing. I should have known. I should have known it wasn't hot enough. But you don't want it too hot either. That's the other thing. No, right. Especially there. Yeah, exactly. So there's a fine line you have to walk when you're using wax. So um, I started to apply the wax and then I realized, oh shit, I'm in trouble because I just put cold wax that's too cold Uh on a very sensitive patch of hair. And so I tried to yank it off. It hurts like fuck. It won't come off. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a thick clump glob of wax. Very thick. Stuck to some hair that is not coming off at this point. And the more I pull on tug on it, the more stuck it gets to other hairs. This is not a good scene. It was way too much to just put a glob of wax remover on it and just try to melt it off. That was not happening because it was a thick glob. So I had to just kind of grin and bear it and pull it off. And it was horrible. I was I was in pain. You were in pain watching. Watching. Yeah. I was in absolute pain. Like like this was so I you know I'm just imagining I'm like oh my god what is going to happen? Here? Oh, it was. I terrible. mean, there was talk of going I still to, remember. To, to urgent care because like this was because <laughs> this was really something. They would have laughed at me. Well, but I mean, what's worse, walking around with like a completely solid cold clump of wax on your you know nether regions stuck to the hair. <laughs> If I thought of it, like maybe taking a like, and maybe this is a survival tip if this ever happens to anybody else, because I understand why they use that there. Uh, maybe maybe like a blow dryer, you know? Yeah, and, I, I mean, mean, I wonder I mean, what that be would have done heat. to the other skin. Right. I I mean, you know, that's, that can be some serious heat, yeah, but it no. might be just enough. Yeah. No, that's to, that's to actually that a great idea. Yeah. But we Wish were in I panic thought mode. Of that. We were in panic mode. That's why we didn't think of it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but for the well, future, well, I learned my lesson there. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my worst uh, pube story. But, you know, I have lots of little ones that aren't as bad, but they're still bad. You know, like you get a cut in an inopportune place or you get a like an ingrown hair that just won't go away. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to dig it out. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, for for men and, and of course, women take it can take it, you know, whoever can take advantage of this as well. Um, I mean, razors have kind of gotten to the point where you can move pretty quick and you can handle just about any amount of hair and it's not, it's not going to cut you like razors have real, like Harry's razors are almost cut proof unless you have some kind of like, uh, like a skin abnormality of some kind, you know, like a, like a mole or something. Mm, you know? mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise like it's almost it, like it's hard for you to cut yourself. Like it, it's difficult. So a lot of these things That's I good. think technology. Have, yeah. I think they've been, they've been solved. There's been a lot of technology to where you this shouldn't have to happen. Use so one of those often. razors either. You like the kind that you drag over your skin. You can use right. a dry, a dry shaver, like an electric shaver. Yep. That's my preferred thing. Cause I feel like that's the least likely to cut you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. All right. Here's another one. So I once had the brilliant idea pre-internet. Okay. Or pre, pre Google. How okay. about that? Not yeah. pre internet, um, pre Google where I was like, you know, I wonder, cause, cause what I had, so of course I grew up Janish and so we have these, Jewish. yeah. <laughs> so, so you can buy these very special, uh, Norelco, like the razors with the, with the, the, the heads on them with the triple heads. 
where it's yeah, the spinning right. the clip heads. Yeah, three circular blades. The three circular yeah. blades. Okay, the thing is, is that in Judaism, you have to remove one of those blades because you can't, you can't cut, there's rules for shaving in Judaism, okay? And so you have to get a very special one for that. Okay. All right. So anyway, now, but. The this no, this Hebrew. <laughs> right. The, these work. I mean, this, the same thing will happen no matter which, which type you use. Okay. So I thought I was like, wow, you know what? It's like, this never cuts me. This is really great. Cause when I was younger, I was actually terrified of, um, you know, of like putting a blade to my face or something. So I always use an electric razor until I got really, until I got into the military. Um, and then you didn't have a choice. So I use, you know, I use this and I was like, boy, I bet this would be great for like shaving my balls. You know, like this is going to be awesome. <laughs> You know, because it'll, it'll just, you know, it won't cut oh, me and just, gee, I'm oh no, cringing. it'll cut you. Yeah. And because that skin is that's thin skin. Yeah. I mean, like that is, that is some really <laughs> sensitive, thin skin and, and cling, cling. I mean, oh, it, it was, oh. oh, it was bad. Ouch. That, that sounds sucked. like a bloodbath. That's terrible. Yeah. I mean, it the wasn't. The scrotum was one of the most common sites that they listed for male um, shaving injuries. Yeah. It's a very unique kind of skin it's very loose skin yeah, yeah that's and right. i i don't think people pro know tip, what to do with it yeah pro tip for guys if you're shaving your your scrotum mm-hmm. pull it taut like pull it up pull it or squeeze it yeah or squeeze it yeah, yeah exactly right. and and that that'll that'll solve that but do not do not, do not use, use one of those triple head norelcos psa <laughs> yeah absolutely oh my god um, okay, so the study found that here's some, a few interesting findings to close it out. The study found that men who considered themselves hairier or removed all of their pubic hair over 11 times were more likely to have injured themselves. Women who removed all their pubic hair more than once were more likely to injure themselves. However, women who were waxed were less likely to have frequent injuries. Huh. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. Of course, the best way to avoid pubic hair grooming injuries is not to groom your pubic hair. <laughs> As I detailed previously for Forbes, I guess he's on the beat of this. <laughs> there is no scientific evidence that grooming pubic hair is more hygienic or has any health benefits. In fact, removing pubic hair can cause small abrasions and cuts that serve as a gateway for sexually transmitted diseases. But if you must, then take the following precautions. Look, this isn't pin the tail on the donkey. Keep your eyes on what you're doing. (laughs) Focus and don't multitask. Grooming, talking on the phone, surfing the internet, and cooking dinner all at once may seem like it can save time, but (laughs) clean up before you clean up. Oil, dirt, and whatever objects may be hiding in your pubic hair can make razors or clippers slip. Use and maintain what? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Use and maintain the right instruments. Using tools that are too dull or too sharp or too large, or just not appropriate, basically everything, (laughs) basically uh, anything that's uh, too dull, too sharp, or too large, raises your risk of injury. Proceed gradually. Trying to get rid of all your pubic hair at once can be like pushing a lawnmower through a cornfield. (laughs) Instead, first carefully trim your hair to a shorter and more manageable length. Don't go against the grain. Grooming may make you feel like a rebel, but you really should be shaving in the direction of hair growth and not against it. I didn't know that one. Yeah, I always thought to, you go against the direction of hair. Growth. Well, if you go against, you get a closer shave, mm-hmm. but like to prevent injury I it or cuts. No, no, the opposite. Oh wow! Um, yeah, you want to go with it. If like that's my understanding, anyway. With leg shaving, you always go against it. Yeah, because the closeness. Oh. I I don't think it prevents cuts. I think it's I think <laughs> I it's the opposite situation. But uh, use moderation. Take it easy. It's your pubic hair and not mold. Get off your back. This is not the time to be lazy. Position your body properly so you can see, are not unbalanced, and are not reaching too far. Now, I will say that having a mirror 
a hand mirror that I can position strategically has really mm-hmm. helped me with this. And then finally, be careful who you let near your genitals. This is probably a good rule in general, but it also applies specifically to whoever you get to groom your pubic hair. Well, I learned that lesson. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's an important did. one. <laughs> uh, well, that was a great article. Yeah, I mean, I will say quickly, like, I mean, I'm just, I'm a big fan of the trim. I, you know, I think for guys anyway, if they go all the way, you know, to, to, I like to baldness the down there. Yeah, I like it too. Well, it's what the best of both worlds. You get it short. Yeah. So it doesn't get in the way of things. But right. then it also, you know, you have the protection. You don't have the extra vulnerability to STIs by ripping out your hair and causing micro abrasions. Yeah. And the third part is I think it creates just that a little bit of cushion because what will happen is unless you're literally shaving it every day. You know, it's it's going to turn it's into gonna, sandpaper yeah, down there, and you're going to be stooping somebody, and then oh, like you, you know, you're going to be rubbing them raw. And it's Ugh. like, oh, come on, that's not even that's not right. So I'm I a big agree. fan of just the trim, and I think you get less injuries if you just go for the trim. Me too. And by the way, you can shampoo and condition your pubic hair just Woo. as your head hair. All right. <laughs> to make it soft. Can you comb it? <laughs> yep, you can comb it too. You can even comb your leg hair. Comb all your hair. <laughs> go crazy. <laughs> All right. Uh, so finally, to round out this segment, because that wasn't as as sexy of an article as we had all hoped. Well, now we have a we have a very interesting article. I think this is sexier, at least. Uh, we anonymously controlled a dildo through the Tor network from oh Motherboard by uh, Joseph Cox. Sex really? Toy- yes. <laughs> really. Whiteman Cox. <laughs> yeah, I know. And Bruce Lee. What is the world coming to? <laughs> Who are these reporters? Sex toy makers are increasingly connecting their products to the internet, but privacy is often an afterthought. One researcher showed that an alternative is possible. Whistleblowing platforms, drug marketplaces, and secure messaging. All uses for Tor that are pretty varied. Now there's another, albeit perhaps unexpected, application for this tool, which which anonymizes web traffic, controlling an electronic dildo. Last week, a researcher managed to set up her dildo to receive commands through the Tor network. And on Sunday, Motherboard remotely caused the device to start vibrating. Novelty aside, the experiment shows that electronic or internet-connected sex toys can be created or modified with privacy in mind, as manufacturers continue to make devices that collect data and come riddled with security vulnerabilities, which we've talked about ad nauseum on the show. I wanted to show that you can make communication between these devices private by default, end-to-end encrypted by default, and secure by default, and without a third-party server server collecting the information about the people who use the product. Sarah Jamie Lewis, the independent researcher behind the work, she has dubbed Onion Dildonics, told Motherboard in a Twitter <laughs> I love it. message. Onion Dildonics. I right. love that, yeah. Lewis's approach uses Ricochet, a messaging program which creates Tor hidden service for each user. Ricochet doesn't just protect the content of users' communications, it also obfuscates their metadata, making it harder for anyone snooping on the connection to see who is talking to whom. Lewis reverse-engineered her dildo, Anova, from the Canadian company WeVibe, and they've got terrible security. They're notorious for bad security. Yeah, they had to do the the lawsuit. That $3 million payout or something, yeah. Yep. So she could communicate with it over Bluetooth. When combined, she so she added a dongle maybe to her dildo. Okay. <laughs> when combined, these elements allow anyone who knows the dildo's maybe rickety- the dongle vibrates and you know you could put it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that would be convenient. Yeah. When combined, these elements allow anyone who knows the dildo's ricochet ad- address to send commands such as slash max to make the device vibrate. Lewis has uploaded the code to GitHub so that others can try it. <laughs> wow. 
Motherboard started a chat session with Lewis's vibe and sent a series of simple commands. Lewis then sent a video of the dildo vibrating. And then they're showing the chat that says like slash max slash off slash min slash off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can turn it on and control the speed. Sex toy manufacturers are increasingly selling products that collect data on their users or are somehow connected to the Internet. In March, WeVibe agreed to pay $3.7 million to settle a lawsuit with disgruntled customers. The sex toys uploaded usage data to a remote server, apparently without the user's knowledge. In April, Motherboard reported that researchers had found a way to hack a camera-enabled dildo. With Lewis's research, however, users will likely have a greater degree of privacy and anonymity if they decided to use the code themselves. In a tweet, Lewis said the only data that might be recorded is the commands being sent and the hidden service address of the person sending them. While sex tech is pretty niche right now, it seems obvious that as attitudes shift, we'll see more innovation in this space. And sadly, the groundwork being laid down right now is repeating much of the mistakes of the general Internet of Things domain has made. Security and privacy is an afterthought, Lewis told Motherboard. And that's it. Well, so I want to address that quick. It's it's not calling it an afterthought is a real misnomer. Um, it's, it's it's on too, purpose. You it, think? Well, no, I don't know that it's on purpose. It's too expensive. Like ah. they they can't they can't afford. It costs more to do cybersecurity than it does to produce their fucking products. Mm, yeah. So it's not just an afterthought. People it's don't not like pay three thousand dollars for that dildo. Right. It's not like oh gee I can't think of you know uh, I didn't think about that this would happen. No, it's more. They can't, they afford, can't it. afford it. Yeah. Like, it's not cost effective. That's to a do good it. point. Well, I mean, with all this technology that we can, you know, loop these things together, like Tor and the, and the vibrator, take matters into your own hands in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> with When it comes to your sex toys. Add a little vibrator to that dongle while you're at it. <laughs> the only thing I want to know is why are so many vibrators still shaped like these phallic shapes when the vagina doesn't really sense vibrations? Tell me more. So, okay. Um, there are lots of dildos out there that uh, vibrate. Yep. And the way the vagina is wired neurologically, the outer, two th- the outer one-third is kind of sensitive to vibrations, but the inner two-thirds, where the G-spot lies, mm-hmm. is way more sensitive to just pressure. So you don't, basically, you don't need a vibrating dildo. So a vibrating dildo is just a stupid idea. That's meant to be inserted in the vagina. Now, if you're using the dildo anally, the anus does sense vibrations, but it's more in the outer third as well. So, you know, that might make sense for some people if that feels good to you. But, you know, for insertion into the vagina, you know, you really don't need the vibration. And, um, you know, so many sex toys are that vibrate are just shaped like a penis when... You know, maybe they ought to be shaped like something that fits more on the clitoris. That's yeah. where the vibrations really count. That's yeah, where people, yeah. women really enjoy, or people who have that equipment really enjoy having vibrations. That's that is fascinating to know, actually. Right yeah. on. Okay. I think there's so much misinformation about sex toys out there, and there's so much ignorance. And there's so, like, you know, some men think they're like, oh, it, why does she need a dildo? It's a re- penis replacement. It's a competition with my penis. Yeah. She must not be happy with my penis. And no, that's absolutely not true. You know, you probably still masturbate even if you have a partner, right? And so does she, right? <laughs> well, it's a, I mean, yeah. And there's so much wrong with that way of thinking. Right. And then, yeah, women think that they can only get pleasure from like a penis shaped object or whatever. Uh-huh. Or like, I don't know, maybe the sex toy manufacturers think that women should only be getting pleasure from penis shaped objects. Yeah. But a lot of women buy these 
vibrating insertable dildos that are look like phallic shaped and then they're disappointed and they're like hey where's my orgasm i paid for this you know and and meanwhile it comes with no instructions because they can't even acknowledge that it's actually a dildo they have to say it's a novelty and it's not meant to be played with sexually because of these like obscenity laws and shit exactly due to regulation you actually can't they couldn't even tell you the reality of the situation you're you're guessing when you buy the damn product you know what it's going to do sure yeah the Hitachi Magic Wand for years, I mean, I think now they finally acknowledge it's a vibrator, but for years it was a massager that was sold in Sears and it had pictures of women putting it on their neck and shoulders with this like orgasmic face on the box. <laughs> yeah. So, it's just such bullshit. Yeah. Just, bullshit. just a quick word of the word to the wise, yes. uh, to the, to the guys that maybe think like that these toys are replacements or something. Mm, yeah. That's a good thing to address. All right. Just real quick. Do you want the person that you love? To feel more pleasure or less pleasure? Forget about your Great fucking dick. Question, yeah. Forget about your dick. Forget about everything. Whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a very abstract, beautiful thing. Do you want them to feel more pleasure or less pleasure? If the answer is less, what the fuck are you doing? If the answer is more, stop thinking about your dick. Let her do what it takes to feel more pleasure. That's what it's all about. Okay. Absolutely. And actually, there might be some fringe benefits, too, because, you know, men can enjoy vibration, too. Sure. Fuck yeah. Some some, you know, cisgender men love to put a vibrator on their penis. Yeah. Some people like to put it in their in their ass or on their ass. Some people like to, you know, be a like a couple that's having intercourse and she's using the vibrator on her clit and he can feel it while he's inside of her. Yeah. Yeah. Sex and lovemaking. They, they are they are abstract concepts abstract actions abstract ideas they are not piv they are not i mean those are aspects of an abstract okay so just just putting that out there do you want her to feel more pleasure or less pleasure and that's the only question you have to answer yeah i suggest if you want to have a good sex life and you want your partner to have a good sex life make friends with sex toys learn how to use them i mean they can really enhance your experience absolutely ways sure i think it's good to learn you know to not completely rely on them all the time because you may not always have them. Yep. But uh, they can be a great augmentation, you know, to your sex life. Yeah, they add spice. Yep. Anyway, okay, we're in the uh, we're in the advice segment here, so we got some uh, listener emails to get to. Brian, you ready for this? Let's do this. Well, first of all, we had one we had one from cognitive dissident saying, "I hope you're having a wonderful day. I love both of you. Love your number one fan." Oh, that's nice. Isn't that sweet? Thank that you, is. That's so dissident. nice. Very sweet. Uh, and now for our actual email. Okay. <laughs> with somebody who has a question. So um, this person says, I am having some issues and would appreciate some advice. I've recently been doing a lot of research trying to deal with my past and some of the sexual trauma I have from being raised religious. I have discovered that I'm extremely sexually repressed. This was even a shock to me because I love sex. I almost always want it. And I think I'm good at it. Some of my issues are that every time I try to fantasize sexually, I hit a wall and I start feeling really uncomfortable and ridiculous. And lately, I have a lot of difficulty orgasming. Whether I'm having sex with just myself or one of the girls I'm seeing, I often can't climax. So lately, I can only enjoy orgasms vicariously by making my partners come. Any advice on things I should try or resources for me to research would be appreciated. So the person raised religious feels that they were sexually repressed Mm. or feels that they are just now coming to grips with the level of sexual repression that they still have, even though they are no longer um, involved in that religion. Yeah. Which I happen to know was Mormonism. Uh Yeah. And this is a cisgender man. 
Okay. Yep. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and call him he. And yeah, uh, so he's feeling the sexual repression and he can't get, he can't access his fantasies. So first of all, do you think that's a problem? Like if, if somebody, he's saying, every time I try to fantasize sexually, I hit a wall and I start feeling uncomfortable and ridiculous. So to me, when I read that sentence, um, hitting a wall isn't necessarily a bad thing. There may not be anything wrong with you if that happens. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that not everybody really fantasizes sexually. Some people have very elaborate fantasies. Uh Some people have fantasies that are just, you know, kind of follow a general theme or maybe vaguer or more nebulous. Some people really don't have fantasies. They just, whenever they masturbate or have sex, they concentrate on the sensations they're feeling more like a kind of a mindfulness meditation, almost like focusing on the here and now. So there's a large range in how much people fantasize and how elaborate their fantasies are. Um, But the thing that I think maybe is a problem is that he said, I start feeling really uncomfortable and ridiculous. Now, that sounds to me like you're feeling shame. And that is what religion often instills upon people when it comes to sex is just a bunch of shame. So I'm not sure if he wants to fantasize, but he just can't get past that those feelings of shame that automatically seem to come up. And there's such a deep association there. Um, Or if, you know, maybe he... You know, maybe he just thinks he should be fantasizing and he's not a fantasizer. In that case, the problem kind of takes care of itself. But then you still have the sexual shame. Well, I'll tell you, um, I can relate to this. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. Um, so I, uh, as I, as was mentioned earlier, like a, a chunk of my life, I was raised Jewish, parents converted, and I ended up becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, which isn't a far cry from Mormons. In fact, they came from the same area and the same time, yeah, 19th century right. upstate New York. Okay. And they have very similar. Something in the water. Yeah. I think I've always said that there must've been something in the water up there. Uh, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of similarities, there's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of similarities. I, as a teenager, when I started to realize, in my opinion, the bullshit of religion, I embraced the other side. And what I mean by that is like, I started finding the idea, like, I, I think, I think in my head, the same thing, or I, I mean, you can't say, you know, only, only people are in their own heads. Um, like, I think I would have run into very similar problems. And I think what my mm-hmm. mind did is it said, okay, no, no, God's evil. Satan's the good guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you went full Satanist. <laughs> and I went, yeah, I mean, I, you know, not that I really bought into like that Satan was, or was a real thing or something like that, but I went, I started to identify and started to kind of wrap my mind uh, and everything in this garb of the satanic and the demonic and saying, no, that, that, that this is actually, this is good. This is okay. This is, this is how I go. You know, like I just went the whole other way now, years, almost decades later <laughs> in my life. Now it's just like a part of my identity, you know, like I don't buy into this shit. You, you know what I mean? I don't really believe any of so it. So you're, you're not a religious Satanist. No, just a, no. But you like, just like the aesthetic. But now, but yeah. You just but, go for the black candles. I mean. Right, right. But now, now I mean, like, it's just been such a core part of me, but it was my way of breaking out of that programming. That, okay, so you're saying that you broke out of the religious programming by embracing the opposite, which was uh, Satanism. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In a way you could say I embraced Satan, Yeah, you know, even though I learned very, or, you know, I came to the conclusion very quickly, 
that you know that's bullshit that that wasn't real that that's not real but the imagery and all of that and and looking on it as being a positive um i think really broke me out of any of that shame broke me out of any any of that any any of that baggage that sticks with you yeah yeah one of the core tenets of satan of satanism the actual philosophy i know how it sounds yeah oh my god they're satanists no we're not satanists no and anton levey wasn't really a satanist either (laughs) but (laughs) but i mean as i understand it satanism is is a non-religious philosophy that's basically like um you know maximize your happiness oh it's hedonism and and pleasure and hedonism it's almost no different than objectivism the nine rands objectivism i mean they're 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 almost part and parcel rational self-interest as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else and just you know maximize your happiness and pleasure yeah i mean there's people that have taken that like peter gilmore has taken that to to different directions that are concerning but Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right i just i just wanted to address that yeah go ahead well yeah i mean i think i think um getting interested in philosophies and and aesthetics that promote um pleasure mm-hmm. and say no 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 you don't have to feel bad about feeling pleasure it's not shameful everybody you know has the right to feel pleasure right and it's okay to want to feel pleasure um that can be helpful in breaking out of that religious conditioning that kind of tells you the opposite that it's not okay to want pleasure or to feel pleasure and you're bad 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 and shameful um <laughs> another thing that i would suggest is for some people, I know I don't know if you're one of these people, but for some people, when they grow up and they have a lot of shame, be it from culture or religion or whatever, around sex, sometimes they start to eroticize that shame a little bit. Oh, so they yeah. They get turned on. Oh, yeah. And then they're like, oh, my God, I feel humiliated. And that turns me on more. <laughs> yep. Yep. This so I don't know if there's any way, I don't know if there's anything you can grab onto about that silly or uncomfortable feeling or maybe even like embarrassed feeling that could even be more of a turn on in like kind of a kinky way. Mm-hmm. But maybe that would work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could also start. You could also sort of ramp up and start slow. Like you say, every time you start to try fantasizing, you hit a wall. Well, maybe don't force it so much. Maybe just kind of, you know, close your eyes and don't tell yourself that you have to fantasize or that you should be fantasizing. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, see what your mind does with no pressure and no expectations on yourself. Yeah. You know, you're raising uh, another another. Yeah. A suggestion, I think. And that is, and I maybe this person um, already does this, and if they do, my apologies for you know being redundant. But um, meditation, and I'm serious, like because mm-hmm. again, like you were saying, Stephanie, like you don't have to fantasize. You know, I mean, yeah, like me, I'm one of those. Not I, everybody fantasizes. What you, yeah, like, but what you described earlier about the elaborate fantasist, mm-hmm. that's me. That's you, yeah. I, I mean, holy shit, like, <laughs> I, I mean, down to the, you know, yeah, everything. <laughs> anyway. Um, but in meditation, one of the, one of the benefits for me for meditation, which I do it, I try to do it every day. I call it zero tasking. I have a very specific method that I, that I do. In fact, you could type in the art of zero tasking in a search engine. It'll probably come up with my write up on it. Uh, but anyway, wh- um, I've, what I notice is that when I meditate, like sex that day will be far more fulfilling, partly because I feel a lot more. Uh, I don't want to, because I don't believe in like woo-woo meditation. That's why I call it zero tasking. So I, I, that way I can eliminate all the, you know, kind of mumbo jumbo and the, you know, all the, uh, the yeah, the woo-woo. Um, 
I feel like a lot more connected with everything going on with my body. Like it just, it feels like an improvement and I'm not the only person that says that, that meditation improves sex. But point being is that if you're not going to have a fantasy, meditating and having sex gets you more in touch with the physicality that's going on. Okay. And maybe that can help take you to that next level that there gets you over the hump as it were, no pun intended. Um, where, where that, where you can really embrace that physicality more and just constant and just kind of lose yourself, clear your mind and just be, be with the physicality of, of, of the, you know, of the sexual actions itself. Uh, maybe that's something that else that could be tried. I love that suggestion. Um, I have another one too. Sure. Sometimes when you immerse yourself in media that normalizes sex and Mm. when you see other people enjoying sexual pleasure and fantasy, you yourself start to feel like, hey, well, maybe I'm not such a weirdo after all. Maybe this is normal to want to pursue sexual pleasure and not feel guilty about it. Yeah. So I would suggest, you know, listen to some podcasts like Sex and Science Hour, but there's also a lot of other good ones. You know, um, the Sex is Fun podcast is one I used to listen to a lot. Mm -hmm. Dan Savage. um, There's lots of others. Um, read some erotica read other people's fantasies to see if you get inspired and maybe that'll spark a train of thought yeah and if you kind of immerse yourself in it and surround yourself with it you won't feel like such a freak because everybody else's freak flag is going to be flying and yours will be flying at half mast and you won't think you're so bad (laughs) so speaking of freak flags that's going to do for us tonight but stick around for the after show if you want to hear it it's not thanks for joining us on sex and game over play again next week Plan B? Yep. Did you wow, know you can get no. Plan B on Amazon? Apparently you can. It is the everything store. Uh, yeah, I know. I had no idea. That was probably the most shocking purchase of the week. So here on Sex and Science Hour After Show, we talk about what was bought through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And to everybody who uses that link to shop, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. If you want to join us on our after show and have your purchases talked about and judged silently, not so silently, <laughs> but anonymously, uh, you can bookmark stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and you can play with us every week on the after show. So, yeah, as I mentioned, um, this week we had some interesting purchase. Why don't we just talk about the uh, the Plan B real quick? We'll just jump right into it. This is the, the Plan B uh, emergency contraceptive, levonorgestrel, which is like, you know, prevents uh, pregnancy from happening if there's an unprotected sexual encounter, right? Um, you, heterosexual, unprotected yes. sex, right? You don't need it if you're gay or lesbian. Um <laughs> And yeah, it was $37 on Amazon. Did it have prime shipping? Do we know? No. No, it was from a third-party seller. So oh, I don't know. This, right. this person could be buying it from the pharmacy and just reselling it on Amazon. But, you know, I bought some Plan B 
for uh, the first aid organization to donate it to the first or aid organization that I volunteer with. Mm-hmm. At, and we were going to have it at a festival. And they asked me for my driver's license. They did a scan of it or copied it down or something. Where did you buy it? At a pharmacy, a local pharmacy in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. That's yeah. what I was curious. Okay. And wow. this was a couple of years ago. This was probably like, actually, it might have been almost 10 years ago at this point. That's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I was definitely felt a little intimidated by that. But um, sure. good for you. Now you can get it on Amazon. Right on. <laughs> so, so thank you for doing that. I hope everything works out just fine. And I mean, you, you don't necessarily need it. It's good to have on hand when you like when you don't need it emergently. It's good to have it already stocked so you can take it if you need it. Yeah. And Amazon, honestly, you can f- buy fairly anonymously on Amazon. Yeah. Like you could even use Bitcoin, you know, buy a gift card. That's true. Uh, you could, yeah. I mean, you can put any bullshit name in the address. Like sure. Amazon just doesn't care. And mm-hmm. it's in their best interest to not care because they just want to ship stuff. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is a, a, a touch of brilliance, a good move, I think. Uh, so anyway, please. Yeah. I almost wonder if it's like activism by the seller. <laughs> sure. Fuck yeah. All right. So I mentioned a heat sink. Um Odroid XU4 single board computer with blue heatsink. All right. Quad-core. Um, it's like, it looks like a Raspberry Pi, like a tiny little computer kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Very so nice. So it wasn't the heatsink. It just has a heatsink. I don't know why I saw that. It, I well, just picked it out. <laughs> well, so this is the thing. Like, I, I'm a big fan of the Raspberry Pi. I have a Raspberry Pi 3. Uh, and you can buy like kits that will come with heat sinks that you can put onto the chips and those really do help. Mm. Uh, so it's saying heat sink matters. Mm. So, you know, very important. Now this is something I've never seen before, a Thai mattress. And it's like a roll that has these little, it looks like horizontal rods, almost like, um, like it looks almost like a tatami of, mat. Yeah, almost like a tatami mat that's yep. like woven together, and you unroll it, and then you can sleep on the floor, or you can just lie on it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel like I could probably sleep on one of these every night. Maybe we should try it. I'm game because <laughs> yeah, I like I sleep. on We'll my have another front camping and... session in the basement. Oh, uh, yeah, so much fun. Yes, yeah, let's do that. I yeah, that I, I mean, I, like I literally could could sleep on a on a concrete floor. I mean, yeah, I, you know, the harder the better, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I'm glad we're on the same page about that too, because we're bed buddies. And we yeah. sleep together. Hell yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, this one was an extra large size, seventy nine by fifty nine by two inches, and um, it was two hundred thirty nine dollars. Sounds so worth it. Than a springy mattress for sure. Just roll it out anywhere. Yeah, roll Get it to out fucking, anywhere. Or cuddling. <laughs> Gets a sleeping maybe, <laughs> like when it. I would. I will say, when it comes to actually having a space for sex, I like a cushy bed better. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what else do we got? Let's see. Um, Pangea fruit mix with insects crusted gecko complete diet, half a pound. Oh, I think we had this last time. I don't know, mm. but we we heard from the gecko owner. She uh, sent us a picture of her pets. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were super cute. Yeah. I mean, they look like little dragons. They're really adorable. Oh, gosh, this is so cute. Oh, my God. So somebody got little stud earrings, and they're silver, but they're shaped like a little pig. So it's like little piggy earrings. <laughs> How cute okay. is that? Oh, my That's gosh. Cute. It's a little silver pig. It's got a nose and everything and little feet and everything. Only uh, $14.99, and if you use silver jewelry in your ears... Um, it's hypoallergenic, so it won't get that crusty, like horrible, you know, nickel plated look. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, you know, I mean, like so, some people are sensitive to like nickel jewelry. Or, oh yeah, like, yeah, not yeah. Sterling silver or whatever or gold. So yep. yeah. Uh, Sunzo S8 Pro Android 6.0 TV box HD streaming media player with AmLogic. Nice. S905. So I, what is this? Like a box that you put on your TV and then you can stream stuff? Yeah, if it's Android TV, yeah, it's, it's just... Is it the, like a Fire Stick kind of thing? Yeah, same exact concept. Oh, okay. uh, you know, it just runs Android. It can run Android apps and you hook it up to your TV. So not a, not a bad device to have. Okay. Oh, now this is cool. Penplax Aquaponic Beta Fish Tank. This is a, a tank where you would put a, a beta fish. Okay. You know, those beautiful... Like the fighting fish. Yep, Siamese fighting fish. Right. Um, but it has a plant on top, and the roots are hanging down into the tank. Mm. So the fish can hide in the roots, or it can eat the roots, and it's providing oxygen for the fish. Fantastic. Well. Brilliant. Yeah, super cool. And this was only 10, 10 bucks. Does it come with the fish? Jesus Christ. Well, somebody's putting it in their cart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am going to put it in my cart. Thank you. Thank you for that idea. You can see you can get anything on Amazon. It's true. <laughs> um, Kos RX Aloe Soothing Sun Cream, SPF 50. So this is looks like both a, both a sunscreen and a moisturizer at the same time. Okay. 1288. Nice. That's pretty good. Now, you know, the thing about F SPF is... SPF is the sun protection factor, and it's a, a way of measuring how many, how much um, protection the the goop that you're putting on your skin provides from the UV radiation of the sun, and thus sunburns. Goop. Yeah, very scientific. Yeah. Right? It's like a blob. Goop. <laughs> goop. Okay. <laughs> I can think of some goop that you probably want to put on my skin. Whoa! I don't know what the SPF of that goop would be. Whoa! <laughs> Depends on how much celery I eat and yeah. how much pineapple juice I drink. That's what, <laughs> geez, you went there. All right. Yeah, I felt like you were going there, but I was you not. Me I was just it. saying goop because I baited me. Uh, I'll be. <laughs> anyway, you. I was trying to uh, explain the SPF. Okay. So the, the the thing is, SPF is a factor. So it's like the number of times your skin's natural protection. So SPF 2 would be two times your skin's protection against the sun. Okay. SPF 10 would be 10 times as much as your skin provides protection against the sun. Okay. Right? Um, so the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that a white t-shirt is like SPF 5 or 10. Yeah. So that's already like pretty good. If you just wear clothing, that's great SPF. Don't, don't really need sunscreen. Right. SPF 50... However, like it's diminishing returns. Basically, once you get above 15 or 20, the additional benefit from going up to 50 is not that grand. Okay. Like it gets to a point where... It gets to a point of diminishing returns, essentially. Like suddenly you don't get any UV at all and you yeah. like, wrinkle up and die. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, it just doesn't protect you from getting sunburned. It's like you're walking around the earth like if the sun, you know, was had gone cold. And, and, and so yeah, you regress, thus your body You does. regress back to the dinosaur age, Paleolithic, and you grow scales. Yeah. I mean, me, like I always... strikes the earth, <laughs> just as Alvarez hypothesized. I always just put Crisco on, you know? <laughs> just, let, just let it cook. <laughs> I smelled turkey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. We got an awesome next purchase. All here. right. Let's do it. The Big Banana Anal Sex for Beginners Set Anal Butt Plugs. 
The big banana? Yep, it's called the big banana. So there's three butt plugs. It's a set of them. Okay. Um, one is three inches long, 1.2 inches wide. Okay. The second one is 3.5 inches long. One in th- 1.4 inches wide. And then the third one is 3.8 inches long, 1.6 inches wide. That's Should I be trying big this? big for a butt plug. Well, I don't know. I mean, you might want to get a wider variety of sizes. I don't know. That seems like a pretty broad yeah, range. Yeah, it does seem like a pretty broad I range. I mean, the big one is like bases. twice as big as the small one. So, I Well. I don't know. Sure. you could. We could try it if you want, if you're willing. All right. Let's see about it. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Adding to cart. Oh, no. I didn't say do that. <laughs> 100% medical grade silicone, giving you soft and perfect, that soft and perfect hard feeling. This butt plug <laughs> is firm yet flexible to contour to your body, mellow and full appearance, effectively stimulating female G-spot. No. Um, <laughs> butt plugs don't stimulate the G-spot. They've got some misinformation there. So anyway, um, if you put anything in your butt, just a PSA, it should always have either a flared base or a long handle that you can keep a grip on so that it doesn't disappear inside your butt. Yeah. Because that, if that happens, that's trouble. You're yeah. going to be going to the ER. You don't want to go to the ER with a toy truck <laughs> Or fishing ass. it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you really don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, silicone, that's good, but you can't use silicone-based lubes on them. So, and I think it'll degrade. Yeah, yeah, it'll break down. Um, and silicone can kind of rip in half if it gets like cracks in it. So probably put a condom over it or something, or I don't know, use a different water-based lube. But really for butt butt stuff, you really need like some kind of better, like water-based lube doesn't always cut it. Spackle? Yeah, definitely spackle. All right. Okay, from that very adult topic to uh, a, ch- a children's movie, somebody got Moana, the audio CD. We haven't watched this yet. I want to watch this. I do too. Yeah, I'm curious The about Rock. That. I want to see this. I'm guessing the same person maybe also got the soundtrack to Trolls on audio CD. Oh, I would, now that's I would like one to I see have Trolls. seen. Yeah. Okay. Did you see that? Yeah. When did you watch that? I don't remember I don't remember. This. Some time ago. Well, anyway. it must have been when I wasn't there. I'm Could jealous. I want to... To watch trolls okay what did you think of it did you like it no it's not very memorable not very memorable no yeah all right there you have it from brian himself not not very memorable trolls it's like was forgettable like what was that spielberg movie they came out was it last summer the bfg or something i can't remember a damn thing from that and oh I have the great big ma- friendly giant yeah yeah I, I mean and i have i'm actually a person that usually has a i mean i have a tremendous memory and like, I can barely remember anything from it. So, so hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, in the books department, we got Altered Carbon by uh, Richard K. Morgan. Oh, that's a great book. Yep. To Takeshi Kovacs. Now, why do you say it's a great book? Real quick. Oh, it's got a, it, it has a really cool, like, cyber, you know, cyberpunk kind of feel to oh, it. Cool. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's it's very, very, very well done. It's, it's part of a series, but it's Some a, light reading to go with your butt plugs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, if you want to do any shopping, go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com or click the link through our website. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll save the rest of the stuff for next time. This has been Sex and Science Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody. Ooh. Enjoy the eclipse.